So we've been spending the last few weeks with the Ten Commandments. We've been thinking, we've been meditating on the first three commandments and what they mean for us today, and we're on the fourth commandment, the commandment about the Sabbath. Now, these commands, all of them, do many things. They serve to purify us from sin. They serve to give us guidelines. They prevent us from sort of falling off the wagon. And they also point us in the right direction, the direction of human flourishing. Um, and you may have noticed, uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, that several pieces of our worship service have been identical in the last few weeks. Our affirmation of faith has been from the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, I believe. Our call to worship has always been from Psalm 119. We've been bouncing around in that psalm. We've been having a very similar, if not identical, prayer of confession. Because for each of these, we want them to drive home the idea that God's commands are not a then and there thing. They're also a here and now thing, and they're a gift of grace. So because it's important to remember where we've come from and where we're going, one of the things we've also been doing is we've been saying the Ten Commandments together using our fingers. I promised you you'd be sick of this, and if you're already sick of this by Commandment 4, don't worry, there's six more to go. <laughs> so um, put your fingers up with me if you feel so led. Um, we're going to go through the commandments together. We're going to go through the first commandment is one God. There are no other gods beside me. So that's how you can remember, one God. Second commandment, there are not two gods, so don't make graven images or idols. The third commandment, there are three letters in God's name, G-O-D. Don't use it in vain. The fourth commandment, which we're on today, when the sun rises over the horizon on the Sabbath day, remember it and keep it holy. The fifth commandment, you can remember father and mother. This is sign language for father and mother, so honor your father and mother. The sixth commandment, don't kill people. <laughs> the seventh commandment, there are two people in a marriage, not five. Don't commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you can think of it either with three and five, or you can distribute it to four and four, which is nice because that feels like handcuffs. Um, don't steal because you'll get cuffed. The ninth commandment, we got to go all the way back to the King James Version. Thou shalt not commit false testimony against thy neighbor. There are nine words in that commandment in the old King James. So don't commit false testimony. Fifth commandment, looks like a little fence, like your Wilson in Home Improvement, looking over uh, to your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff by looking over the fence. We got all that? There will be a quiz. <laughs> Uh, so we're focusing on the fourth commandment today. The fourth commandment is the longest out of the Ten Commandments, um, which I think says something about how important God sees this commandment for, for our sake. Our reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible, which is the Bible we give our third graders. Um, and uh, so you can follow along if you've brought a Bible with you or by listening. This is Exodus 20, 1 through 11. Listen now for God's word to you. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself. No form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. 
but I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name in that way. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it. Not you, not your sons and daughters, not your male or female servants, not your animals, nor the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made heaven, the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of Sabbath. We ask on this day that you pour out your spirit upon us, that we may hear and understand the word you have for us this morning. Pour out the gift of preaching upon me, that my words may be yours, that I might testify to the good news of your word made flesh in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's curious how this command is phrased. God commands us to remember the Sabbath. Now, a married couple had been together for some time, enough time not to be newlyweds anymore. Now, that also meant that one of the partners was maybe a little less intentional about remembering the important days, whether birthdays, anniversaries, or Valentine's Day, which somehow comes on a different day every year, even though it's always February 4th. I don't, I don't understand. And so when this couple's anniversary came around, there was nothing planned. No dinner, no night out, nothing. This is not an autobiography, by the way. Let me be very clear. I'm seeing my mother talking to my wife over here. (laughs) At the end of the day, the less intentional partner turns to their spouse. And their spouse has like been waiting all day for some acknowledgement of this special day. And with a smile, the less intentional partner says, happy anniversary. I remembered. Aren't you proud of me? Well, that's not quite what remembrance is about, is it, right? Remembrance is more than just a passing thought of, oh, it's our anniversary today. When I remember something, it should cause me to take action. If I remember on my way to work that I left my garage door open, which I sometimes remember that even when I haven't left my garage door open, then that should cause me to turn around if I'm like within a few minutes and like come on back and close my garage. I don't just remember and think, ah, My garage door is open. Okay. If I remember that I have a committee meeting that I had forgotten about, well, I don't just sit at home. I, you know, open up my laptop and hop on Zoom or I get in my car and go to the meeting. Remembrance isn't just a mental exercise, is it? It's something that requires action. Back in Egypt, in response to the Israelites crying out for deliverance, God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this remembrance spurred God to act. God didn't just remember and think, oh yeah, I did make that covenant that one time. No, God remembered and then acted. And when we remember the Sabbath, we likewise are taking action, just as God did in Egypt. But I think that this prompts a question for some of us. What does it look like to take 
action, to remember the Sabbath? What does it look like to treat this day as holy? Well, treating something as holy means treating it as set apart for God. The people of Israel are a holy nation and God's special possession. Anytime we deal with holiness, we're dealing with something that belongs to God in a special way. So that means when we remember the Sabbath and we treat it as holy, we're charged with dedicating the day in some way, shape, or form to God. Specifically, the commandment tells us, don't do any work at all. Curiously, though, the commandment doesn't do us the service of telling us what work is, which led to all sorts of different, uh, what are called midrashes or midrashim. These are Jewish commentaries on what counts as work. The Pharisees of Jesus' day got in a lot of conflict with Jesus about telling Jesus what was work and what was not. Jesus healed a woman on the Sabbath who had been bent over and, and, and paralyzed for a number of years, and the Pharisees considered that work. Jesus and his disciples plucked grain on the Sabbath because they were starving. The Pharisees considered that work. They had all sorts of rules for how to define work. You could walk, for example, but only for 200, excuse me, not 200, 2,000 cubits. It's like half a mile, I think. I, I don't quite know all of the, anyway, it's, it's not very far. You can walk a little bit. You could write some words, but only two letters worth on the Sabbath. You could erase, but only two letters worth. Kneading dough, baking, these were all considered work by the Pharisees of Jesus' time. Now, these regulations that they made had thoughtful, intentional reasons behind them. But I think that God had a purpose in not defining work in the Sabbath commandment. Because what is work for me may not be work for my friend Kathy. What is work for Ken might not be work for Terry. Um, the, the, we think about work in different ways. For example, I remember one of my college pastors being very leery about asking college students to do administrative tasks for our college fellowship because he didn't like these administrative tasks. Others probably weren't going to like these administrative tasks either. Another one of my friends who was a very detail-oriented person finally shared with him that she would have loved to have done some of that work for this college fellowship because for her it wasn't arduous. It wasn't work. It was life-giving and worshipful. What one person considers work, another person might consider play. So I think it's intentional that God doesn't tell us in like, you know, five-point plan style, what is work. So, okay, we remember the Sabbath. We treat it as holy by not doing any work on it. And this has a dual purpose. There's a dual function here for not doing work. First, when the Israelites remember the Sabbath, they remember the time when they didn't have the Sabbath. They remember when they were slaves in Egypt, their captivity, and how Pharaoh would work them to the bone. They probably didn't get weekends off or two weeks paid vacation, right? They remember their former lives. They remember how God freed them to serve and worship the Lord alone. In short, they remember redemption. They remember being redeemed 
from Pharaoh, from, from slavery to Pharaoh. The second thing they're remembering is the rhythms of creation. God doesn't need rest. God's sort of above that. But God chose to weave rest into the fabric of creation. By resting, the Israelites are imitating what God did on the seventh day. In all of this, Sabbath reminds us that God alone is the Lord over creation and the Lord over redemption. No matter how much we do, we can't become lords over creation or of our own redemption. God is Lord over creation and redemption, and the Sabbath teaches us this. Now, that's not just true back then. It's true for us as well. The rhythms of creation are the same. We see this. By resting on a regular basis, we're introducing further order into creation. Uh, during the winter, we're not growing vegetables in our vegetable garden out there because creation rests. When we try to work and work and work and never take time to rest, we're actually introducing chaos back into God's orderly creation. We are decreating. By avoiding rest through workaholism, when we ignore the signs of burnout, when we fail to take time to enjoy what God has given us, what we're actually doing is we're rejecting God as Lord over creation. When we fail to remember the Sabbath, we're telling God, hey God, when you rested on the seventh day, you kind of screwed up. It was not as efficient as it could have been. The rhythms of redemption are a little bit different now than they were then, but I'm going to make the case that they're similar enough that when we Sabbath, we're also remembering God as Lord of redemption, as the Israelites did. Just as God delivered or redeemed the Israelites from Pharaoh and bondage, God has also redeemed us from sin and death through Jesus Christ. This is actually the reason we worship on Sundays. Instead of continuing to worship on Saturdays, as uh, folks do in Judaism. Sorry, I lost my place. I apologize. For us, Sabbath is a time to remember that God alone is Lord over redemption. And that's what God has accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which occurred on a Sunday. So we worship on Sundays to remember that God is Lord over redemption. So as believers, there are a ton of different practices we can take on if we want to remember the Sabbath by treating it as holy. Some of these practices are maybe particularly fitting for us. Others of them may not work. Um, it's just like spiritual practices. Some of them are going to come easier to you than others. Um, one of them is worship. We get together for worship on a weekly basis. And, and many of us are able to worship with our siblings in Christ, and it is a joy to come and rest from our daily grind by coming and worshiping at church. God didn't create us to be in a solo one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. God created us to be in a community of faith as well. This is one of the reasons that not only do we hold worship services here, but we also live stream them for the benefit of our homebound members. Because our homebound members are not just worshiping God on their own, they're worshiping God with us in community. Now, worship can sometimes feel a little bit like work. Especially when you really feel like you need to sleep in, 
where you don't want to fight with your kids and your spouse about going to church again, worship attendance can feel arduous. And there are going to be times when you'll need to lose that battle on a Sunday for sake of winning the the larger war. This is not a commandment that's supposed to be like you go to church every week or God's going to get you. That's not, I think, what the Sabbath commandment is about. However, the Sabbath commandment is about naming the discipline that Sabbath is. Whenever you are adopting any sort of an important discipline, whether that's an exercise regimen, whether that's reading scripture, whether that's regular prayer, it's going to be hard to do that at first. It's going to be hard to get into a rhythm, but it's worth it even though it takes a little bit of work to start up. None of these things, exercise, scripture reading, prayer, worship, none of these things come totally naturally to us, but all of them are really important for our health. So that's um, one of the things that we can consider as we ask, how can we treat the Sabbath as holy? Worshiping together. Now, as some of you know, I recently returned from vacation. Um, And sometimes I find God's sense of humor to be a little bit hmm, twisted, God likes to to laugh at at my expense sometimes, like arranging for me to preach right after I get back from vacation um, with like two days to prepare. Uh, You may have experienced this at work, right? Where you try to get back into the flow of work with emails and meetings and projects right after coming back from vacation. And you're like, why did I even go on vacation? I'm working more hours than I would have worked anyway. Um, And you wonder whether it's worth it because it's so difficult to catch up. And of course, I want to practice what I preach. And so like, I want to also make sure that I I am spending time Sabbathing and spending time as much as I love you all away from you all, right? Um, It's hard to make everything fit when you take Sabbath. Uh, I have some materials here because I wanted to give sort of an object lesson. Some of you may have seen this before. Let me get this set up. All right, let me, um, I'm actually going to come in front of the table for this. That's right, we can. Okay. Got lots of fun things here. Some of you may have seen this object lesson before. Um, I have with me a pitcher, some river rocks, more than five smooth stones. We're not doing a David and Goliath thing here. Um, And then I also have with me, inside of this, I've got some sand. And for those of you who've seen this object lesson before, you know that the sand represents the things that are enjoyable for you to do. These are the things that would be like, yeah, it'd be fun if I could do that. And this picture represents what I have time to do. And so if I pour a bunch of sand, probably some on the floor too, um, but if I pour a bunch of sand in the pitcher, then that's fun. Like, I've filled up my, my life with stuff that I enjoy doing, stuff that's fun to do. But then you've got these rocks. These are the things that you need to do. These are the things that are good for your soul. And when I try to fit three cups of rocks in here, they're not going to fit. Um, I can show you afterwards, but that would require a lot of cleanup, so I'm not going to do that right now. Instead, I'm going to show what happens if we start with 
than what we need to do with the rocks. We start with the rocks. We can kind of pour all the rocks in here. And it looks like, as I'm pouring the rocks in, that we won't have space for the stuff that's sort of like fun to do, the stuff that's nice to do. But as we start to put it in, we see that there's more space than we thought there was. And when we start with what is good for our health, like taking Sabbath, like making sure we've got time with our family, when we start with what we need to do, like you know, making time for homework, making time to enjoy life with friends, then we find that there's even time for stuff we want to do, like reading a reading a a really junky book, right? You know, one of those books that you just like you read in a day and it doesn't have any like practical purpose, but it's kind of fun. Or, you know, there may even be a little bit of time for social media to, to go onto Facebook um, and get in arguments on the internet because those are always healthy. And then all of a sudden, like, what wouldn't have fit if we had started with the, you know, kind of fun stuff, it all fits. And this is what happens. This is the strange phenomenon with Sabbath, is that if we try to take a Sabbath after we've filled up our lives with all the things we feel like we need to be doing, there's not going to be enough time. But if we start from the beginning and plan for Sabbath right from the get-go, all of a sudden, things fit. There was a book, uh, the title of which has stuck with me. The book is called too busy not to pray. I think Sabbath is similar. When you are feeling particularly like nose to the grindstone, you're having to do everything. You're too busy not to take a Sabbath. You can never be too busy that you can't make space for Sabbath because if you put Sabbath as one of your rocks, there will be space for all the other things that God has in mind for you. I'll clean up that mess later, I promise, Jeremy. I got your back. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to note here. There's no eligibility requirements for Sabbath. Did you, did you catch that in the commandment? Everyone is charged with taking Sabbath. There's no probationary period. You don't need to be a part of the people of God for a certain amount of time before you qualify. There's no age requirement. You don't need a particular job. The entire community of Israel was invited, required, to remember the Sabbath. So my charge for us today is that we too would remember the Sabbath by treating it as holy. And, and we don't need to do that and, and count the number of steps that we take so that we're not walking more than 2,000 cubits. We don't need to remember the Sabbath and treat it as holy by not baking on the Sabbath. We don't need to uh, stay away from these sorts of activities. But there is something special about this day where we remember that God alone is Lord over creation and redemption, that we don't save ourselves and we don't make ourselves worthwhile. God's already done that. So let us remember the Sabbath and treat it as holy by looking to the Lord of the Sabbath to be the one who nourishes and sustains us. 
May it be so. Thanks be to God.